One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 49 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the first of a four-part case before They Walk Among Us concludes Season 4. The next instalment will be available next week. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. At 5.46am on the morning of Saturday, March 31st, 2001, a call was made to the emergency services. The operator was told that a male, who would later be identified as 31-year-old Stuart Lubbock, was found lifeless and hypothermic in a swimming pool. The pool belonged to celebrity entertainer Michael Barrymore, who lived at 4 Beaumont Park Drive in Royden, a village in Essex in the southeast of England. Partygoers flagged down the ambulance as it arrived around 10 minutes later. The driver had found it difficult to locate the entrance of the home, at first travelling down a neighbour's driveway. The paramedics observed two individuals trying to give Stuart CPR. It was clear he was not breathing. 
water surrounded his body, which was damp but not soaking wet. His pupils were fixed and dilated, and his skin was pale. Stuart had suffered cardiac arrest, and a pink or reddish liquid came up out of his mouth. His breath smelt strongly of alcohol. Stuart was given adrenaline injections, and a defibrillator was used to restart his heart, a dangerous undertaking if his body had been overly wet. At the scene, paramedics from the Essex Ambulance Service did what they could before he was rushed to the Princess Alexandra Hospital at 6.24am, a journey of less than three miles, which was made in four minutes. Medical staff fought for over two hours to raise Stuart's body temperature. Full resuscitation procedures were undertaken. He was given intravenous injections and a defibrillator was again used. Still, sadly the efforts of on-call doctors and nurses were in vain. Stuart Lubbock was pronounced dead at 8.23am. As soon as the press discovered someone had died in Michael Barrymore's pool, it was first reported to be a tragic accident, where a party-goer had simply overindulged on a night out. It was assumed Stuart took a dip in an outdoor pool before inhaling water and drowning. This is a case that would obsess the British media for decades to come. Furthermore, the circumstances of Stuart's death still remain a mystery to this day. The only people who knew what happened and could make sense of the tragedy were a father to two young children had lost his life were those individuals who attended the party that night. Frustratingly, the accounts they have given of Stuart's final hours are a puzzle that has yet to be pieced together in any coherent way. Kevin Lubbock, Stuart's older brother, who had been out with him at the Millennium Nightclub that evening in Harlow, would speak about the events to a coroner the following year. Kevin recalled that Stuart said that he had seen Michael Barrymore in the toilets of the club. He said, I didn't believe him. You don't normally see celebrities in the Millennium. I said, Michael Barrymore, you cannot be serious. He eventually came out. He was wearing a shabby white jumper and looked terrible, like he'd been throwing up in the loo. He looked out of it. I just went up to him and shook him by the hand and said, All right. He just smiled at me. Stuart laughed. The Millennium Nightclub was not the sort of place you would consider seeing a celebrity. The venue predominantly played garage music. Michael Barrymore was taken to the VIP area. He was spotted by clubbers on the balcony drinking champagne with some friends of his overlooking the dance floor. Stuart Lubbock was then approached by a woman who whispered something into his ear before Stuart left. Kevin realised his brother had been one of the few people chosen in the nightclub to be invited back to Barrymore's house to continue the party. Kevin went home alone that night. This wasn't an unusual thing for him to do. 
Stuart had always been more outgoing than his older brother, more confident with the opposite sex. Like many children, when he was young, Stuart enjoyed the family trips away on holiday and spent time in a caravan in Hampshire. He liked playing football. He loved Manchester United. In the book, Not a White Getting Away with Murder by Terry Lubbock and Tony Bennett, Terry, Stuart's father, wrote about how he and his wife were production line workers at the same factory when Terry came to learn that his partner had been seeing another man. He and Dorothy, Stuart's mother, separated when Stuart was 15. It hit the family hard. Terry applied for custody of the teenage boys and the courts awarded it. Eager to leave school and find employment as soon as he could, Stuart wanted to follow the same footsteps his brother Kevin had trodden just 12 months earlier. Working gave Stuart the money to learn to drive and buy his own car, and he was proud of it, keeping the vehicle immaculate. Stuart was doing well at his job at the A1 Bacon Factory in Harlow. He was progressing up the ranks and became a butcher's supervisor. His brother Kevin worked at the factory too. It afforded them holidays abroad to places like Gran Canaria where they could continue to party. Stuart was tall, charming, with boyish good looks which he used to his advantage when the brothers went to nightclubs together on a Friday and Saturday night. Years earlier, when Stuart was 20, he met Susan Homan. The pair were in love and wanted to spend all their time together, so Stuart moved in with Susan and her parents. But as she was only 15 and Stuart was barely out of his teens, he was made to stay in a separate bedroom to his girlfriend. After several years together, they tied the knot in July 1993. Their wedding photos show a happy young couple. The day went without a hitch, and the sun was shining. Following the ceremony, Stuart continued to live with the Homan family, but the marriage wasn't to last. Six months would pass, and by Christmas their relationship had disintegrated. Stuart moved back home with his dad. Discussing their marriage and who Stuart was, Susan was interviewed shortly after Stuart's death. He always wanted to settle down and have children. Stuart was devastated when we broke up. We had grown apart, and I had grown up. I realised that I was too young to settle down. Stuart was a lovely, lovely man who would do anything for anyone. He worked hard and adored his children. I just cannot believe that he is dead. No one can. When he was 25, Stuart met Claire Wicks. The couple met through work in the mid-90s and remained together for six years before they went their separate ways towards the end of 2000, around four months before Stuart died. This was the longest relationship Stuart had ever had. They first lived together at Claire's mother's before finding a place of their own. They had two daughters. Stuart and Claire began to argue, Stuart started to think the grass was greener, going out nightclubbing more than once a week 
seeing his friends and his brother Kevin. In October 2000, a month before they separated, Stuart also started to see someone else. He had begun a casual relationship with Emma Bowman. He met her on a night out in Harlow at Passions, one of the two main clubs in the town. Following Stuart's split from the mother of his children, the UK was suffering from an outbreak of foot and mouth, and this affected his job as it did many others in the meat industry, so his working hours were reduced. He wasn't able to provide as much for his ex-partner and their children. He started to drink more, which only put a further strain on how they were going to manage visitation rights. Claire became worried. But with Easter approaching in 2001, they were on better terms and making attempts to be cordial for their children. Stuart was determined to be a part of their lives and frequently asked about them. They were his pride and joy, Claire would later say. Stuart was friends with everyone. I miss him very much. On Friday, March 30th, 2001, as his hours had been cut, Stuart had the day off work so went to see his children. He then went to the Poplar Kitten Pub in Harlow before returning home to have dinner with his father and brother. Stuart then put on some music to get him and his brother in the mood for the night ahead and he continued drinking consuming a few cans of beer. Stuart's father Terry dropped off his sons in town later that night, but little did he know it was the last time he would see one of them alive. Stuart hadn't come home that night, and although it was a little unusual for him not to call, it wasn't unheard of. Terry went to his partner's house later that morning, where they received a visit from two police officers who were persistently knocking on the door. Assuming one of his sons might be in trouble with the law, Terry asked that he be told the news at home. When they arrived, Terry was offered to take a seat, but chose to stand, as he was told his beloved son was dead. How Stuart was found and what happened next differed drastically from each of the partygoers at 4 Beaumont Park Drive, perhaps due in part to their memory being impaired by alcohol, drugs, being up all night, or all three. There were nine partygoers including Stuart who had been at the Millennium Nightclub in Harlow earlier that night. They included television personality Michael Barrymore in his late 40s, who invited the guests back to his home, some of whom he knew and others he didn't. Barrymore had been guided outside by a doorman to get him away from the crowd that began to gather. He waited outside along with Justin Merritt, a clubber in his mid-twenties, who had offered to look after him. Barrymore travelled in a taxi with Justin and his sister Kylie, along with Stuart Lubbock, arriving at Beaumont Park Drive at approximately 2.50am. About half an hour on, they were joined by more guests, 
who had arrived in a second taxi from the Millennium nightclub. One of the three people in this taxi was Jonathan Kenny. At 31, he was the same age as Stuart. Kenny and Barrymore had been seeing each other for less than a month before Kenny moved into the one-storey mansion property. He had lived in Blackpool, giving up a successful career as drag artist Raquel in the still-popular Funny Girls showbar. Kenny, who became separated from Barrymore in the club, came outside shortly after. CCTV captured what appeared to be a short row between the couple as Kenny wanted to know what Barrymore was doing and who Justin Merritt was. After he calmed down, Kenny returned to the club to get their coats, but when he came outside, Barrymore had already left in a taxi, leaving Kenny highly agitated. Kenny was made to wait for another taxi with two other people who had also been invited to the party at Barrymore's home. Kylie Merritt's friend and student Claire Jones, who was 17 at the time, and Claire's friend and fellow student Kelly Campbell, aged 20, who reluctantly agreed to go. It was apparent Kenny was annoyed at the situation, being left behind, as he threw his coat on the floor. He had used one of the young women's mobile phones to call the Ace Apollo Taxi Company, the same company that had just picked up his partner. Kenny explained that he was Michael Barrymore's boyfriend, but this made little difference. The trio were made to wait, arriving in Royden around half an hour later. Finally, two more people that live nearby arrived on foot about ten minutes after that. These two guests were known to Michael Barrymore, Simon Shaw and his friend James Futters, both of whom lived in Royden. Of the six men and three women in the house, Stuart Lubbock was the only one who didn't have any links to the other guests or Michael Barrymore. Stuart had seen Claire Jones in the Millennium Nightclub on other occasions, as they were both regulars there, but he had not spoken to her for any length of time. This was one of the reasons why the police had such a difficult time identifying who Stuart was. The other people in the house had just referred to him as some geezer. Strangely, after the alarm was raised, Michael Barrymore did not let the police access his property because he had already left before they arrived. Along with Simon Shaw and James Futters, Barrymore travelled to Shaw's flat above a nearby newsagent. It was later confirmed before leaving, Barrymore carried a bundle of material under his arm and changed out of the clothes he had worn to the club earlier that night. Shaw and Futters would later speak of their confusion as to why Barrymore was leaving his own home, but he would later claim it was to avoid a media frenzy. At Barrymore's luxury mansion in Royden in Essex today, there was no sign of the TV celebrity, and the village had closed ranks to protect its own. Police say it's not clear whether the man found in the pool was even known to Michael Barrymore, who they say has cooperated fully with them. In a statement, Mr Barrymore said he was very, very upset by the death. Detectives are keeping an open mind as to whether or not it was suspicious. 
Michael Barrymore was questioned here at Harlow Police Station and officers say they may need to talk to him again sometime over the coming weeks. The latest episode then in the life of one of Britain's most popular but controversial stars. After Stuart Lubbock was pronounced dead, a police log noted his description as officers were unaware of his identity. Five feet eleven inches tall, short brown hair, blue-grey eyes, slightly overlapping front teeth, dressed only in light grey boxer shorts. They did not know his age at the time, so presumed he was in his mid-twenties. To the public... Stuart was at first seen as someone who had spotted Michael Barrymore with his entourage while out clubbing and followed one of the country's then most famous TV entertainers back to his home. Michael Barrymore was a household name throughout the UK in the 80s and 90s. Born Michael Kieran Parker, Barrymore hosted several primetime family shows, including Strike It Lucky, My Kind of People, Lucky Stars and My Kind of Music, earning an estimated £2.2 million a year. His brand of physical comedy and his catchphrase, All White, made him particularly popular with the older generation and children. It was at first assumed by the police that after stripping down to his underwear, Stuart Lubbock jumped into the outdoor swimming pool and it wasn't until he was found lifeless by the other guests, the alarm was raised. Addressing the press after the incident, a police spokesperson said, Gate crashing is probably not the right word, because no one seemed to mind he was there, but it's safe to say that neither Mr Barrymore nor anyone else there knew him. It seems incredible, but they didn't even know his name, otherwise we'd have been able to identify him much quicker. An initial post-mortem completed by Dr Michael Heath concluded that Stuart had died by immersion. In other words, he drowned. Norman Hicks, speaking from Essex Police HQ, said the investigation was ongoing and tests may take several weeks. All police did confirm was Stuart's cause of death. Norman Hicks spoke about Stuart and concluded, quote, At some stage, he appears to have decided to go for a swim on his own. At the time, neither Stuart's father Terry, mother Dorothy or brother Kevin gave comment, understandably too upset, but others were only too happy to talk about the sort of person Stuart was. He was described as pleasant and sociable. Eileen Bilson, a neighbour, said, He was a very friendly lad. He always said hello. He had two lovely children, and he doted on them. In an interview with the Daily Express describing Stuart as polite, a friend of the family, Doreen Crouch, expanded on Stuart's life. Stuart was a bit lonely after splitting up with his girlfriend. I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Never again. I'm never going to get involved again. 
Stuart had moved in with his father and brother shortly before Christmas following the breakdown of his relationship with the mother of his two children, Claire Wicks. Michael Crook, a friend to Stuart, who was also with him and Stuart's brother Kevin in the Millennium Nightclub, spoke with the Daily Mail. Quote, Barrymore and Stuart sat chatting for ages and were obviously getting on. Michael told me he was going back to his house for a few more drinks and asked if I wanted to come. I said no because I had work the next day. Michael Barrymore's agent Ann Chudley provided a press statement from her client in which she stated, Michael is deeply saddened by this terrible tragedy. At the moment, his concern and thoughts are for the young man's family. On the subject of how evidence was being gathered, an Essex police spokesperson said, In the next 48 hours, formal statements will be taken from all of those who were present at the party so we can find out the exact movements of everyone on the night. We know that Mr Lubbock drowned, but there are many ways of drowning. Toxicology will tell us how he died and whether he was under the influence of any drugs. The media initially assumed that Barrymore and Stewart were friends, with the news of the world reporting their apparent connection. One headline read, Michael weeps as gay pal dies face down in his pants. As the reporters continued to track down who had seen Stewart during the night out, they found the taxi driver who had picked him up along with Barrymore and siblings Justin and Kylie Merritt. Keith Herritt, otherwise known as Keith Wilson, was the owner of Ace Apollo, the taxi company that had been contacted to pick up Barrymore and his other guests. Herritt was interviewed and said that Barrymore had frequently used his taxi firm over the last ten years, running him from the one-storey mansion in Royden to the BBC Studios in London. Herritt just so happened to be free for the pickup when the call was made. Three of the partygoers were talking to each other during the journey. However, Barrymore seemed subdued. He was very quiet, Herod said. As quiet as a mouse. He was obviously very tired. He sat in the back of the cab with two of the other people. I said, why? And I just got a very quiet, why? The taxi driver went on to say, The other three were very smartly dressed in suits as you would expect for people in a nightclub, but you would not have recognised him. He was very scruffy. Around that time there was a strict policy in bars and clubs that you would be turned away at the door if you were wearing trainers and sportswear. It would seem Barrymore, dressed in more casual clothing, had been given a free pass to get in due to his celebrity status. Detective Superintendent Ian McNeil was assigned to lead the inquiry to investigate the open nature of the case. At 6.10am on the morning Stuart was found, the police arrived and photographs were taken of the scene. Around 50 minutes later, officers got in touch with the taxi company and subsequently the driver who picked up Barrymore and his guests from the Millennium Nightclub in Harlow. 
At 7.03am, Michael Barrymore's personal assistant turned up at the property to explain where his employer was. Mike Brown was permitted to enter the property to collect some of the entertainer's personal belongings. He was not supervised, and at one point he was even asked to help take a temperature reading of the swimming pool. Just over three quarters of an hour later, officers went to interview Michael Barrymore. That evening, Barrymore checked himself into the exclusive Marchwood Priory in Southampton, a clinic frequented by the rich and famous to treat addiction and mental health issues. He was joined by his partner, Jonathan Kenny. However, Kenny left a few days later. A spokesperson for the clinic confirmed that Barrymore was being treated, though offered little information other than to say the patient was, quote, under a considerable amount of stress after the last 24 hours. Michael Barrymore stayed at the facility until May 11th, when he was discharged. An inquest into the death of Stuart Lubbock was opened on April 5th, though would be adjourned until a later date as toxicology tests were still pending. Michael Barrymore's then-partner Jonathan Kenny was interviewed after he left Marchwood Priory. He spoke about the incident and how he struggled to perform chest compressions on Stuart. Kenny said, I can't get rid of the visions. Every time I close my eyes I see it. I see him. I have to remind myself that I did everything possible to save him. In a later interview with the tabloid newspaper The News of the World, Kenny was not exactly flattering about his former partner, who fled the scene before the police arrived. When the crunch came in a life-or-death situation, the only thing that mattered to Michael was helping himself. Instead of helping me to resuscitate Stuart, Michael ran off like a coward. Police had to go and find him so they could interview him. Kenny spoke about the last time he saw Stuart, who had joined him and Justin Merritt in the jacuzzi. He was mumbling about something, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. Stuart sat opposite me, and he suddenly slumped forward. His face was drooping into the water. I said, Oi, sober yourself up, and pushed him up to stop him falling into the water. He was swaying all over the place, but eventually he sat back. I just thought he was drunk. It didn't enter my head that he may have been on drugs. Kenny explained that after he and Justin Merritt got out of the jacuzzi, Stuart was sitting in the water with his elbows stretched to the side like he was making himself comfortable. That was my last image of him alive, Kenny said. We probably should have got him out. Along with Justin Merritt, Kenny said that they were later drying themselves off when Barrymore burst in telling his partner that someone was floating in the pool. Kenny and Barrymore were a new couple, having only moved in together ten days before Stuart's body was found in the swimming pool. Barrymore and Kenny would part ways shortly after the incident.
fingerprints and DNA were taken from all the guests who attended Michael Barrymore's home in the early hours of March 31st. While it was made clear that although testing could take some time, rumours began to swirl that perhaps something more sinister was at work. During the examination of Stuart Lubbock's body, several internal injuries were discovered, consistent with a violent sexual assault. It was also reported that Stuart's body was being tested for the date-rape drug Rahipnol. The producer of a documentary that examined the circumstances of the case was later interviewed, and he revealed that he had seen the photos of Stuart's injuries. Owen Phillips, part of the team behind Barrymore, The Body in the Pool, told a reporter for the Metro newspaper, the pictures were too gruesome to include. The photos are the most horrific thing anyone could imagine seeing, he stated. There are internal injuries where he's been completely ripped open. The headlines at the time held nothing back. The Star newspaper read, Sex riddle of dead man in Star's pool, and People magazine ran with, Barrymore, body in pool at gay booze orgy. The investigation to find out who caused the injuries was ongoing, but as the pathologist had ruled Stuart had drowned, this only raised further questions surrounding why he had died. Interest was yet further ignited when one of Barrymore's neighbours, Linda Clay, came forward and explained that she heard screaming shortly before Stuart's body was discovered in the pool around 5.45 in the morning. It was hysterical and high-pitched, she said. I thought it was an argument, but I couldn't distinguish the words. Another neighbour, Jerry Grant, also told the press that it was not unusual to hear parties from Barrymore's home, which is located some distance away from the other properties, shielded by a wall and tall hedges to hinder any prying eyes. Jerry Grant said he heard the noises around 5am, which sounded like people talking, but he would not describe it as a party. Michael Barrymore had been a regular feature in the tabloids for the last decade. He was one of the highest paid entertainers on television and had been through a messy separation from his wife. The split came after he announced he was gay, so much was made of his private life. Barrymore had already been under the microscope due to him attending a number of public appearances in a state of intoxication. As Barrymore's lover was also at the property when Stuart was found, there were persistent rumours about Stuart Lubbock's sexual orientation. As if by being gay, this might excuse or explain away the horrific internal injuries he had suffered. Not that it should make a difference, but Stuart's family, friends and past girlfriends all said that he was heterosexual. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVadis certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. By the start of June, the investigation had been running for just over two months. Some of the people who were at Barrymore's home that night were interviewed by journalists and paid a good deal of money for what was seen as the inside scoop, though accounts of what happened varied wildly. The tabloids had a strained relationship with Barrymore, as a great deal of its pages covered the turbulent life and times of the troubled entertainer. Michael had been married to his wife and manager Cheryl Barrymore for two decades, before he came out as gay not only to her, but the entire nation in 1995, from the stage of a pub in London's East End. The bitter divorce from Cheryl came through several years later. Michael Barrymore's private life was laid bare in the press, including his struggle with alcoholism. Despite all the entertainment awards and accolades, he battled depression and spent some time in rehab. He finally settled down with former stockbroker Sean Davis, who moved in to Barrymore's home in Royden 
which he had once shared with his wife. But in early 2001, Sean left. Barrymore's partying lifestyle had become too much to live with. With the departure of his partner, Barrymore struggled and his addictions caught up with him when he headed into Harlow to visit the Millennium Nightclub on the evening of March 30th, 2001. While the circumstances of that night caused some speculation, there were few articles reporting on the life of Stuart Lubbock. It seemed that the media were far more interested in the potential death of Michael Barrymore's career. Would his TV show get cancelled, or would he be dropped altogether by the production company he worked for? Several headlines mentioned how the king of light entertainment had lost his crown, or how Barrymore was facing the final curtain. As those questions were being asked, officers who had initially treated the incident as an accident took action. Detectives investigating the death of Stuart Lubbock on March the 31st have made three arrests this morning. One is a 31-year-old man from Blackpool who's been arrested on suspicion of murder, also a 26-year-old man from Harlow on suspicion of murder, and a 49-year-old man from Royden who's been arrested on possession and supply of a Class B drug, possession of Class A drug, and allowing a Class B drug to be taken on premises. On the morning of June 6th, Michael Barrymore arrived at Harlow Police Station in an unmarked police car accompanied by several detectives. He would face questioning in regards to the possession and distribution of illegal drugs. Justin Merritt, who shared a taxi with Barrymore on the way back from the Millennium Nightclub, and Jonathan Kenny, Barrymore's boyfriend at the time of the incident, were arrested on suspicion of murder. Merritt, who was in his mid-twenties, lived alone after separating from the partner of his two children. He did not know Barrymore personally before that night, but had offered to look after him when they were in the club. When Merritt's father was asked for comment following his son's arrest, reporters were told that it was a complete shock. We cannot believe what is happening and we are trying to be kept up to date as to what is going on at the police station regarding any charges. I would rather not talk about Justin while the police investigation is ongoing. Jonathan Kenny from Blackpool had met Barrymore five years earlier, when the entertainer toured the seaside town. All three men were questioned at Harlow Police Station and released on bail pending further inquiries. As his client's release was being finalised, Barrymore's solicitor David Corker was interviewed outside the station. Michael is putting on a brave face. He is okay considering the circumstances. I expect him to be released today. I hope so for all our sakes. The arrests lined the pages of national newspapers, with every rumoured twist and turn appearing in the headlines. Reporters speculated if police had found a rumoured videotape of the night in question. Also, was Stuart Lubbock dead before he hit the water? And finally, was Michael Barrymore HIV positive, following stories written about his lover Jonathan Kenny's diagnosis? 
as Barrymore was only suspected of committing drug-related crimes. He travelled to America to undergo further treatment for what his manager described as personal problems. Shortly after Michael Barrymore returned to the UK in the middle of August to answer bail at Harlow Police Station, he was photographed at Heathrow Airport by a sea of reporters and photographers, clambering to get a quote or photo from someone who was clearly preoccupied. Barrymore gave away only the briefest of smiles before saying, I'm feeling a lot better, thank you. He was told his bail would be extended and several police officers were going to carry out an additional forensic search of his home to gather new clues that might reveal what had happened. Along with forensic officers, Detective Superintendent Ian McNeil attended the property. He informed the press that further developments in the investigation had been made. New information has come into the inquiry which allows us to be much more specific in what we are looking for and apply certain specific tests, he said. Officers will be working through the night both inside and outside the house. Mr Barrymore's legal team are in constant dialogue with my team. We are working through this as amicably as possible. The search was believed to be in relation to the death of Stuart Lubbock not any potential drugs charges, with Barrymore's solicitor making it clear that his client was not a suspect in any homicidal inquiry. Barrymore was only allowed in his home when accompanied by a detective. A van with clear wording indicating it belonged to a police forensic unit was pictured outside the property as a police officer stood guard. Several items were removed from the residence during the two days in which the home was examined. The results from the toxicology tests completed on Stuart Lubbock's body were now also available. They confirmed he had taken ecstasy and cocaine shortly before his death. After the samples taken throughout the home were analysed, including areas in the bedroom such as the sheets, mattresses and the headboard, Stewart's DNA profile was not present. Blood was found on two towels, but was not profiled at the time. No reason has ever been given as to why. On October 11th, 2001, following the search of his property and a further interview which he requested... Michael Barrymore was officially cautioned for possessing cannabis and for allowing his premises to be used for the smoking of the drug. No action was taken in relation to the other charges of possession of a Class A drug or supplying a Class B drug, as there did not appear to be a realistic prospect of conviction. As Barrymore had accepted his guilt in the matter and the amount of drugs were deemed minimal, then only a caution was given. His solicitor, David Corker, spoke with the press. The police uh, cautioned Mr Barrymore for an offence relating to the quantity or the possession of a very small quantity of drugs found at his house here on the 31st of March. Mr Barrymore accepted that caution and thereafter he was then released. 
Mr Barrymore has asked me to say that he's extremely relieved that now this marks the end, today marks the end, of any police inquiry involving him. There had been rumours before the announcement that Barrymore was not going to be charged, as around a week earlier several newspapers were reporting the death of his mother following a long battle with cancer. The focus quickly shifted to the two men that had been arrested on suspicion of murder. However, two days after Barrymore received a drugs caution, both Justin Merritt and Jonathan Kenny were also released without charge. This raised a lot of questions. How could Stuart Lubbock have received what was being described as severe internal injuries shortly before he drowned, and no one noticed? Jonathan Kenny was furious with his former partner. In an interview with the tabloids after his release from bail, Kenny was adamant that he was not involved in Stuart's death. He spoke about how Barrymore fled the scene after Stuart was found and how he felt abandoned after his separation from his then-partner. I had nothing to do with it, Kenny said. I did not have sex with Stuart or anyone else. I had been in the jacuzzi and went to change when Barrymore burst in shouting that someone was in the pool. He was panic-stricken. I fought to save Stuart's life. Then when the paramedics arrived, I turned around and asked where Michael was. I was told he had run off. Now I want to know why he left me to face the music alone. We were lovers, but we could not survive a tragedy like that. As Justin Merritt was also no longer going to face charges, for a substantial fee, he gave an interview to the News of the World, who had been covering the case on a near-daily basis. Merritt spoke about how he was surprised to be offered drugs at Barrymore's home when he had only met the celebrity entertainer hours earlier. He said, There was me, my sister Kylie, Stuart Lubbock and Barrymore sat around the main worktop in the centre of his kitchen. After sorting drinks for everyone, Barrymore brought out a plastic straw and some cocaine wrapped in paper. It had been ripped from a porn magazine. He opened the parcel, showed me the coke and asked, Do you fancy a line? Then he spread it on the worktop, chopped it up with a credit card and bent down to take a snort with the straw. Barrymore then offered it to me. I had a line. Then he asked Kylie if she wanted one. Merritt's sister refused, and it was reported that Barrymore offered some to Stuart Lubbock, who also declined. However, according to Justin Merritt, Barrymore then coated his finger in cocaine and forcibly rubbed it in Stuart's gums. Merritt said, Stuart jerked his head back as if to say, What the hell are you doing? but didn't try to stop Barrymore. Merritt repeated the story that Jonathan Kenny had previously told about the two of them being in the jacuzzi when, dressed in a pair of shorts, Stuart got in the water. The 31-year-old appeared playful, pretending that he was drowning before reappearing in a fit of giggles. Merritt explained that he left the jacuzzi with Kenny, and as far as he could recall, Stuart was found in the pool around 30 minutes later. 
Merritt's story of what happened that night and the timeline he provided would be heavily disputed in the coming years. During late October 2001, seven months since the incident, Michael Barrymore gave his first interview about what happened in the early morning of the last day of March, during the final hours of Stuart Lubbock's life. Barrymore had since received treatment at clinics both in the UK and abroad to deal with addiction and depression. He admitted that he had used drugs and consumed large amounts of alcohol in the past. On the ITV programme Tonight with Trevor MacDonald, Barrymore told reporter Martin Bashir that he felt responsible in so much as it was his property where Stuart died. He said, I can't imagine how Stuart Lubbock's family are feeling. I'm terribly sorry. I'm sorry for Stuart. He didn't deserve to die. I didn't know how it happened or what happened. To this day, I don't know what happened to him. Recalling the incident, Barrymore said he was smoking with other guests when he went out to the jacuzzi and that's when he made the discovery. I looked down, which was effectively the deep end, and Stuart was there. He was face up. I just freaked out. I ran back in and got Jonathan Kenny, who I know's a lifesaver. Following the TV show being aired, Essex police contacted the studio and asked for footage that did not appear in the broadcast, as this might shed some further light on what happened. Claire Wicks, Stuart Lubbock's former partner and mother to his children, watched the interview alongside her sister Sue. The pair were interviewed and Sue described how her sister broke down in tears. They felt the interview was self-serving. While the couple had split up, Stuart visited his children every day to put them to bed. In the interview, Claire Wicks asked, Stuart died after suffering horrific injuries which he obviously didn't inflict on himself. How can a young man go to a party, be given drugs, be sexually assaulted and drown in a swimming pool with no one called to account? Devastated at facing a life without the father of her daughters, Claire Wicks went on to say, Barrymore used to present a show called Kids Say the Funniest Things. It's not so funny when your child is constantly asking where her dead daddy is. The investigation had been running almost a year, and despite a number of arrests, no one had been charged in connection with the death of Stuart Lubbock. Following consultation with the Crown Prosecution Service, it was decided that no further action was going to be taken as there was insufficient evidence to prosecute anyone. After a meeting of pathologists, the coroner and the senior investigating officer, all lines of inquiry were considered to be exhausted. Details of the incident were catalogued the defile produced by Essex Police was passed to the coroner for an inquest. At the start of July 2002, during a pre-inquest hearing, 
Coroner Forensics Caroline Beasley Murray announced that among the individuals she required to give evidence, Michael Barrymore would be one of them. Fully aware of the intense media interest in the case, the coroner said, I would like to express the court's sympathy to all the family upon the loss of Stuart, the father of two young children. This stress for you will probably continue until after the inquest is concluded. Numerous tabloid newspapers reported on the developments of the inquest, and it was suggested that the taxi journey Stuart took and the party he attended was exclusively frequented by men. Little mention was made of either Justin Merritt's sister Kylie, a friend Claire Jones, or Kelly Campbell. The inquest was scheduled to take place in autumn, and then it was hoped there would be some answers to those questions that remained outstanding. How did Stuart die in those early morning hours? How had he suffered injuries consistent with a severe sexual assault? And how had not a single person noticed? This is the end of episode 49. To hear the next part of this case on the death of Stuart Lubbock, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening. A special thank you goes out to our new Patreon producer Jenna Cox and everyone who supports us through Patreon. For more information about this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.